Hi, and welcome to the Law Notes episode of the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the Trump administration's decision to ask the Supreme Court to delay deciding whether Title VII bars gender identity discrimination. Then we'll talk about two bigoted Baker cases, one that may be coming back to the Supreme Court and another that was decided in the UK. Finally, we'll talk about the Trump administration's continued attack on the humanity and safety of trans people and the massive protests that took place in response. With us, as always, is Professor Art Leonard, chief editor of Legal's Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest LGBT legal developments here and abroad. Let's dig in. Hi, Art. Hello. Great. So let's start with our first story, which is the cover story in Law Notes. Uh, the Trump administration has asked the Supreme Court to hold off for now on deciding whether gender identity discrimination is covered under the ban on employment discriminations because of sex in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Tell us a little bit about those developments. Okay, what's happening is there are three petitions before the Supreme Court uh, asking them to decide what Title VII's ban on sex discrimination means in the context of either sexual orientation or gender identity. We had uh, two petitions on sexual orientation. One, uh, the employer petitioning from the Zarda decision by the Second Circuit from earlier this year. The other, the plaintiff uh, petitioning from the Bostock decision in the Eleventh Circuit, which went the other way. And we had a uh, petition filed over the summer by Harris Funeral Homes, which uh, had lost before the Sixth Circuit on the question whether their discharge of a transgender funeral director violated Title VII. So uh, we have these three cases. They're all pending. Uh, the Supreme Court was originally scheduled to hear the sexual or to uh, decide on whether to grant the petition on the sexual orientation case back in September. But Alliance Defending Freedom, which is providing legal counsel to the Harris Funeral Homes, asked the court to delay in taking up those petitions until the briefing was completed on Harris Funeral Homes. And what was holding up the briefing was that the Solicitor General twice asked for extensions of time. And because of a little background drama that was going on, it seems that the EEOC won the Harris Funeral Homes case in the Sixth Circuit, but the Trump administration does not agree with doesn't the consider it a win. It, it considers it a loss. It yeah. considers it. And, and the normal thing is that the federal government, when it is the respondent in a Supreme Court case, uh, is represented by the Solicitor General. Although sometimes the Solicitor General uh, allows the agency itself to represent itself. And so there was some drama about whether the Solicitor General would allow the EEOC to represent itself in the Supreme Court in which case it would be defending its decision, or whether the Solicitor General would take it over. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a hijacking because it's the normal role of the Solicitor General. Yeah. Uh, so the Solicitor General takes it over, and now he's going to ask the court to reverse the decision that the government won below, mm -hmm. which is a bit bizarre. Uh, but the Solicitor General went even further, uh, and uh, I think probably to the utter consternation of ADF, uh, the Solicitor General said, you know, you shouldn't take the Harris Funeral Homes case yet because the sexual orientation is more pressing. The sexual orientation cases uh, are now arising from two circuits because we already had a Seventh Circuit decision. Right. So two circuits with a large portion of the country's population 
uh, are already going in this direction. And if, if you look, there's a recent First Circuit case that sort of nibbles at it, and then who knows what's going on in the Ninth Circuit, trying to keep track. Yeah. Uh, but the Ninth Circuit uh, has been pretty permissive in interpreting sex in recent years. And so they said that's the more urgent thing to take up. And they said how you resolve the sexual orientation question could very well decide how you resolve the gender identity question because the ultimate issue is what philosophy of statutory interpretation will you bring to the question of whether sex under Title VII can get a broad, all-encompassing definition or whether it should be narrowed to the definition preferred by the Trump administration and religious conservatives. But uh, they're saying that if your mode of statutory interpretation is to ask what did the legislature that passed the law intend to outlaw? Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't intend to outlaw sexual orientation discrimination. Sure. And they didn't intend to outlaw gender identity discrimination. This statute was passed in 1964. That issue wasn't on the radar for Congress at the time. Uh, and since then, Congress has been presented with uh, bills to amend Title VII or later uh, to create standalone legislation that would ban sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination, and that hasn't moved forward. It's gotten one House approval, but not two houses, and uh, it was not until the Obama administration that we had a president who endorsed uh, banning both sexual orientation and gender identity discrimination by federal law. So uh, if you're following this historical originalist sort of mode of statutory interpretation, we obviously lose, and that means we lose both issues most likely, unless uh, the courts would uh, accept the alternative theory in gender identity, the sexual stereotype theory, uh, derived from the 1989 Price Waterhouse decision, which did not involve a transgender or uh, gay or lesbian person. It involved a person who uh, didn't conform to gender, didn't conform to gender stereotypes in the yeah. way uh, she enacted her femininity. Yeah. Uh, she didn't like uh, lipstick. She didn't like jewelry. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if you take the more expansive view of statutory interpretation, which is that statutes, especially old statutes, and Title VII is more than half a century old now, if you look at old statutes as setting forth general propositions and leaving the courts the flexibility to interpret them in line with social developments, with knowledge we have now that we didn't have then, uh, the nature of human sexuality, et cetera, uh, then you would be willing to allow the EOC and the courts to adopt this broader interpretation. So uh, the Solicitor General argues how you decide those cases will probably decide how you should decide this case, or at least this question under this case. So they said the best thing to do is just hold this case, hold this petition, while you decide the sexual orientation cases. But then they went on, and I'm sure this is to the utter consternation of ADF. They said, and if you decide that now is not the time to have plenary review of the sexual orientation issue, you should still dismiss this one because you should decide that one first. And because as to this issue, they said, the Sixth Circuit decision is at this point the only court to have adopted that view. So it is not all that urgent for the Supreme Court to resolve it. And I think that is ridiculous, that argument. But, of course, the ACLU, which is representing Amy Stevens, who is the intervener plaintiff 
in the uh, Harris Funeral Homes case, uh-huh. uh, the ACLU filed their response to the Solicitor General, uh-huh. and now I'm I'm going beyond the end of October into early November <laughs> because we are we are recording this in mid-November. Give us a taste. So, uh, so they said because they originally argued uh, that no, you shouldn't take this case, mm-hmm. and so they said again, no, you shouldn't take this case, and the reason you shouldn't take this case is the Sixth Circuit decided the case on alternative grounds. One ground was sexual stereotype. The other ground was that gender identity discrimination as such violates Title VII. Uh, And so uh, it makes no difference to the outcome of the case if you struck down the uh, categorical definition and left intact the sex stereotyping definition, uh, our client still wins. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, in, in their brief, of course, the Solicitor General uh, is not content to just say why they shouldn't take the case. They then go on and argue the merits briefly, and they put forth the administration position, which is best reflected in an October 2017 memo that Jeff Sessions issued. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Well, and at that point, Jeff Sessions said that under federal law, uh, you can't cover sexual orientation or gender identity. Oh, there's was, so many memos coming out of this administration. Yeah. You mean that one, not the HHS memo right. that we'll I, talk about later. Right. No, this is Jeff Sessions. The, Plenty the of anti-trans memos yeah. coming out of this administration. They, they try to put one out every few months, Ugh. you know, just to keep their base, you know, sure. inflamed. Okay. Uh, so, uh, also, ADF, of course, is totally pissed off at the SG. As you might expect. You know, I, t- I, t- I took a little glee from that. So ADF files a response to the Solicitor General, and they say, oh, no, 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 you really have to take this. This is really urgent. There's a, t- a split in the circuits, and there's a split in the circuits on all the... T- Doesn't ADF, like, populate most of the Solicitor General's office at this point? Uh, well, they're, they're busy now... Uh, They've hired off all their old attorneys? Well, what they're, what they're busy doing now, the Trump administration, is appointing former ADF attorneys sure. to the federal courts of appeals. Yeah. Including this this uh, young woman... Allison Rushing, yes, I think is her name, Fourth it's, Circuit. Yeah, she's 36 years old, barely out of law school, some people would say. Uh, but the point is that on this, the Supreme Court, now that briefing is complete on the Harris Funeral Homes petition, the Supreme Court has scheduled it for consideration at the CERT conference to be held on November 30th. Oh so in the December issue of Law Notes, we will probably be in the position of having a headline story about whether the Supreme Court is going to decide this issue this year. Though don't you think they consider things and then they sit on them all the time? It's possible that uh, they won't decide it at the first conference. Yeah. But this is, this is pressing, and uh, a lot of the media commentary has suggested that if they grant cert in any, three, any one of these three cases, it will become one of the most important decisions of the term. Yeah. Because so far, this looks like a pretty dull term in terms of cert grants. So why don't you tell us a little bit? I mean, obviously, you will be predicting here, but what are our chances on this? I mean, you know, this is statutory interpretation. This isn't broad constitutional principles. We're dealing with statutory interpretation. We've heard even Justice Roberts talk about sex in the context of the marriage equality cases before. Is there any chance that we win this with this court? Uh, I would say it's a long shot because... Most of the members of the Republican, well, several of the members of the Republican majority on the court, as it's now constituted with Kavanaugh seated, uh, are really strict constructionists in terms of statutory language. But we have to remember that one of the important precedents cited by the EEOC and by the courts 
in adopting their broader interpretation of Title VII is Justice Scalia's opinion for a unanimous court in the Ancali decision where he said, we are not bound by the intentions of our legislators, we're bound by the language they chose. And so the question is whether the language will bear this interpretation. And as to that, I have some doubts we're going to get five, uh, five votes in favor of the expansive definition. And I think it probably hinges on Chief Justice Roberts, but uh, given his dissent in Obergefell, you know, I don't hold out a lot of hope for Roberts crossing the aisle and joining the Democrats on this one. But, you know, Kavanaugh is an unknown unknown at this point because it seems in his time on the D.C. Circuit, they haven't had any major sexual orientation or gender identity cases. So he's not on the record. But, you know, we can look at his history. We can look at his background. <laughs> I would suspect that he agrees with Jeff Sessions' view I, on yeah. the interpretation of Tessa. And I don't think there's a, a snowball's chance in hell that we ever get Clarence Thomas on any gay rights case. Oh, my God. And uh, Alito, uh, I don't know about Alito. He, he's not a doctrinaire originalist, that's for sure. Uh, he has been flexible at times on things, but he votes a pretty conservative line. So yeah. I think uh, that if the court takes any of these cases, the chances we will lose are very high. And the question is, how spectacularly will we lose? Right. And will losing spur Congress to amend the statute to cover us? And I think it would spur the, the incoming House. What it would do in the Senate is... I, I, I have a feeling that, I, I, from what I've read, Nancy Pelosi, if she's elected as Speaker, has promised yeah. to bring the Equality, the Equality Act. Act to the floor. Right. They will pass the Equality Act during the first session of this Congress, I would predict. But it doesn't make a difference if it can't get to the floor in the Senate. I, yeah, and McConnell even, would never bring it to the and, floor. And even if it got to the floor in the Senate, we'd have to shake loose several Republican senators. Uh, and uh, first of all, you'd, you'd have to find a Republican senator who's willing to co-sponsor it to even get that started. And I'm, I'm not sure who's left. You know, the, the, the moderate people, you know. Yeah, you had Portman really and uh, Collins and maybe Murkowski sign yeah. on to the, like, scaled-down version yeah. of these. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, this could be a dismal year for us in the Supreme Court, depending what happens on this. Okay. Well, I'd like to say we're going on to our next segment. I'd like to say there's good news here, but <laughs> whenever our ultimate um, conclusion is it may arrive before the Supreme Court, uh, it's usually pretty grim. So let's wrap, and we promise we'll find something good to say in the next segment, but the ultimate conclusion might not be satisfying. And we're back. The owners of a shuttered Oregon bakery fined for refusing to make a wedding cake for a lesbian couple are appealing to the U.S. Supreme Court. This will give potentially the U.S. Supreme Court one more crack at deciding the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, not on the narrow grounds that it did before, but on more broad, um, expansive grounds on either religious freedom or uh, First Amendment principles of cake artistry. Art, tell us about this particular case out of well, Oregon. One thing we have to be careful uh, not to do, and that is to cast dispersions on the artistic pretensions of bakers of uh, custom-designed wedding cakes. My wedding cake was lovely. After all, and, and it, expressed, it expressed jubilation about the event for which it was baked. And so, therefore, there is an expressive content oh, to no wedding Oh, no question. It expressed deny. a lot about me and my husband's union. Yeah, not so sure about the baker's views. Well, 
they were they were views for hire. It was cake for hire, right? Mm, right. Okay. Well, what happened in this case uh, is uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa, a custom cake business in Gresham, Oregon. Now run, defunct. Now defunct. Uh, they claim because of this case, run by Melissa and Aaron Klein. Uh, so uh, Rachel Cryer and Laurel Bowman had been very happy about the wedding cake they bought for Rachel's mother's new, new marriage, and so they decided to mm-hmm. go back because they were satisfied. They, yeah. they thought this was a great place to get their wedding cake. Uh, so they go in, and they're going to order the cake, and as soon as it turns out that it's a cake for a lesbian couple, the baker says, oh, no, 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 we don't believe in this, and you know, it's against our religion, etc. And so they turn them down. Uh, and this got some media attention, and uh, this case... Uh, turned out very similar to the Masterpiece Cake Shop case in, uh, in Colorado. And so what we ended up with is a decision by the Oregon Court of Appeals holding that this was a violation of the public accommodations law and there was no First Amendment privilege to refuse to bake the cake. Uh, and now Alliance Defending Freedom is defending the Kleins and uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa, and they're asking the Supreme Court to review it, and they're going a step further. And that's what makes this petition so dangerous. Yeah, It's not just that they're asking the court to reconsider the merits issue that they uh, evaded deciding in Masterpiece Cake Shop. They're also saying that the court should take the opportunity to overrule Employment Division versus Smith, which is the sort of uh, charter of freedom from religion from the Supreme Court, from Antonin Scalia, Ugh. of all people. So before we get into that, this, that piece is the really, really That's scary the big piece. piece here. Refresh people's minds about the First Amendment kind of claims that we're talking about in well, this Sweet Cakes case. Well, well they, they're claiming that it uh, poses an undue burden on their religion, their free exercise of religion, to require them to bake a cake that uh, is uh, something that they feel is sinful. Mm-hmm. You know, same-sex marriage is sinful. Uh, you know the story about God and Adam and Steve and all that kind of stuff that you know really just concerns. You don't have, have to, to tell it to me. We don't have but to tell yeah. it. Yeah, but uh, so at any rate, uh, they're making the religious free exercise. They're also making the cake artist argument that uh, this is freedom of expression, which includes freedom from the government telling you what to express. Uh, and those are both plausible arguments. Uh, there are arguments on both sides of those of those issues. But and the d- facts but, are a little bit right. different here. You yeah. probably don't have the bigoted comments because there was no commission. Right. Um, you probably it, here they here did they bake can get the to cake. the merits. Here right. they could get to the merits, and they did bake the cake for the mother in law, right? So right. they can say it's really not about this particular couple. Right. It's really about it's about the cake, right? It's so about the cake. There's yeah. some different facts, but but in terms of employment division versus Smith, uh, the important thing there is that the Supreme Court held that people did not have a just general freedom of religion right not to comply with uh, generally applicable laws that are neutral with respect to religion on their face, that uh, were not passed to target religion and don't on their face single out or target religion for uh, some kind of persecution or something like that. Uh, so in this case, they are asking, ADF is asking the Supreme Court to reconsider Employment Division versus Smith. Uh, an amicus brief that was filed in support of their peti- petition goes a step, a step back, saying that the court should distinguish Employment Division v. Smith, which involved uh, a fellow who uh, dr- flunked a uh, drug test 
and uh, was fired by his employer. And then he went to uh, the unemployment uh, agency to file for unemployment benefits. And they said, no, you were fired for cause. And he said, no, I was fired because I was observing my religion. And they said, that doesn't make any difference. If you were, if you violated the employer's work rule and the employer has a right to forbid employees, especially someone who's a truck driver, from showing up for, uh, for work and testing positive for marijuana, uh, that you're not entitled to unemployment benefits. And he took that to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court agreed with the agency that there was no exemption, that uh, just because he was fired because of his free exercise of religion didn't mean he was entitled to unemployment benefits. They could deny him the benefits without violating the First Amendment. Uh, so this has been uh, relied upon as a more general precedent, saying that there is no general First Amendment free exercise right to not comply with the law just because you have religious objections to complying with the law. And, and it did prompt a backlash oh, from Congress. It did prompt, and a liberal backlash from Congress. Right. If you look at who dissented in the case, yeah. it was like liberals on the court who dissented, uh, who said that this is a change in our First Amendment jurisprudence. We have traditionally said that if complying with the law places a significant burden on your free exercise of religion, the government has to have a compelling justification for doing that. Uh, and so what we got in response was the Religious Freedom Restoration Act on the federal level, which in its first iteration was held unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. So they went back and they narrowed it. Mm -hmm. It just applies to federal laws. And that resulted in many states passing their mini Religious Freedom Oof, Restoration. Which we've talked about a number of yeah. times. And which we run into now in states. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting, on this issue of the wedding cakes, we have, and, and other wedding services like photography and florists and things, some of those have arisen in states that have RIFRAs. And the courts have said, but the RIFRA doesn't protect you here. Mm. Uh, they, they just, they felt that uh, it is not a significant enough burden on someone's free exercise of religion yeah. to require them to sell a service that they routinely sell to people having weddings. Uh, they said they're, they're not asking you to participate in the wedding. They're just asking you to supply the cake or the flowers or, you know, take some photographs or something like that. Uh, and uh, the Supreme Court has already once turned down a cert petition in a case involving a wedding photographer from New Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was back in 2013. It was well before Obergefell. Was there a RIFRA claim in that, do you remember? There's a state RIFRA. Yeah. And the um, New Mexico Supreme Court said, no, they don't have a, a claim under the RIFRA. And, but uh, and how that, sweeping would this be if now the Well, court if we lost Employment Division versus Smith, it would make the RIFRAs basically uh, irrelevant because people would have First Amendment claims. You know, the Hobby Lobby case, that was litigated as a RIFRA case because there's no First Amendment right uh, to refuse to comply with the federal benefits law. But nobody argued overturn Smith there. No, nope, not there. They weren't calling for that. They were calling for... And now uh, they see Griffin. a new day on the Supreme Court. Right. And they think there are five votes to overrule Smith, or at least to narrow it. Because what uh, the Faith and Freedom Alliance, or whatever, the, the organization that filed the... Uh, Alliance amicus Defending brief, Freedom? No, oh. this is Faith and something. Oh. Uh, they, they filed an amicus brief uh, in support of the cert petition in this case. And they said, what you should do is take the case to narrow Smith. So uh, uh, Smith only applies to criminal laws because uh, in that case, the guy was like violating the state's law. Isn't that cute? Yeah, so they want to draw a bright line test between 
criminal laws and, uh, and civil laws. But at any rate, this may go up. We don't know. The Supreme Court was interested enough to grant certain masterpiece, so they may want to come back and grant cert here. In the meantime, we had this decision out of the United Kingdom, which, based on the headlines, I think a lot of people may have been misled. Right. This is another problem that we saw with Masterpiece, where the headline is, Baker wins, right? Yeah, and, and the Baker won, but not on the grounds that he no, sued. Very different so, facts so in, here. in this case, we had a gay activist who was going to a meeting and wanted to bring a cake to the meeting with the slogan, support same-sex marriage on it, mm-hmm. and uh, the Burton Ernie figures, you know, from the, from the cartoon. Adorable. You know, the puppets or whatever. So... Uh, he goes into this bakery called Asher's. This is in Northern Ireland. And Asher's is run by some devout Catholics, and they refuse to make the cake. And so uh, he, instead of going somewhere else and getting a cake somewhere else and just forgetting the whole thing, he decided to make a big Commonwealth case out of it mm-hmm. by, by uh, filing a discrimination charge and uh, the uh, ban on sexual orientation discrimination in the United Kingdom kicks in. And the lower courts in, in Ireland, first the commission and then the lower courts, find that this is a violation. And it goes up to the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They said this wasn't sexual orientation because they said they would have refused to bake a cake with that slogan for anybody, regardless of their sexual orientation who mm-hmm. came in. And he wasn't asking for the cake for a wedding, so they didn't have to confront that issue. He was asking for a cake for the specific purpose of sending a message, and right. he wanted them to send the message for him by inscribing this on the cake. And they said one of the problems is that uh, the United Kingdom, of course, is party to the European Convention on Human Rights, which has very strong protections for free exercise of religion. Uh, So uh, they said uh, if we found that this was discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, nonetheless, the baker would have a very strong defense under the Convention on Human Rights that they shouldn't be compelled mm. to express a view on a controversial topic, both politically and religiously. Uh, the court devotes several paragraphs at the end of its opinion to distinguishing Masterpiece Cake Shop oh, and making okay. it clear that Masterpiece Cake Shop, for one thing, didn't resolve the issue on the merits in its own case, but for another thing, was distinguishable on the facts from this case and didn't present the same issue, mm. at least in the opinion of the court. Yeah. And what's interesting for folks that watch Will and Grace, there was the episode where Karen went to the um, baker and asked them to bake a, a, a Trump cake, uh, Make America Great Again cake. Uh-huh. And they and, refused. And they refused. And they tried to analogize this to the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. And I was like, oh my God, this is not the same thing. This is a political message that they're particularly asking the baker to send. This case is a little bit more in line with the messaging case right. of a, you know, cake Make American Make America Great Again cake. And um, you know, I would say the baker would absolutely be able to refuse making a Make America Great Again yeah. cake. Well, you know, the, the remaining question of Trump's youngest daughter decides to get married and wants to go for a wedding cake, can the baker refuse on political grounds? All right, there you go. Doesn't approve of Trump's marrying and producing <laughs> another generation of Trumps. <laughs> All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we have... Um, a little bit more meat on the bones that we're going to talk about some of the discriminatory memos that we alluded to in the first uh, segment. And we're back. According to a memo obtained by the New York Times, the Department of Health and Human Services is leading a draconian effort to establish a legal definition of sex under federal civil rights law, Title IX, as 
a biological immutable condition determined by genitalia at birth. Art, tell us about this latest HHS memo. Well, this, this latest HHS memo, uh, which evidently someone at the Times has seen, but it is not the, I haven't seen the text actually circulating. It's a memo that proposes adopting a regulation. Uh, now, HHS's concern, of course, is the definition of sex for purposes of the Affordable Care Act, for purposes of uh, the Social Security Act, and, you know, uh, various federal programs uh, in which sex, uh, for discrimination based on sex is involved. For example, there are executive orders uh, and regulations about uh, sex discrimination by contractors and things of that sort. So at any rate, as we know, the Trump administration has taken the position since early on uh, that statutes, federal statutes, federal regulations, federal policies that ban sex discrimination do not extend to sexual orientation or gender identity. And their earliest signal on that came shortly after uh, Trump was sworn in. And as soon as he got his cabinet people in place, uh, there was a joint uh, letter by uh, Jeff Sessions and Betsy DeVos withdrawing the guidance under Title IX. Yeah. Uh, which was the keystone of Gavin Grimm's discrimination right. case against the One of the, the very School early District. attacks on trans yeah. people. So, so they withdrew that and at the same time persuaded the Supreme Court to cancel the oral argument mm-hmm. in the school district's appeal of uh, the Fourth Circuit's decision in that case. Mm-hmm. So that case got remanded back, and uh, it's still pending. That was their first signal on that. And then, of course, in the summer of 2017, Trump issued his tweets on the transgender military ban that he was establishing. And then there was a lot of drama about whether he was going to withdraw Obama's executive order on uh, federal contractors Mm -hmm. for sexual orientation and gender identity. And he actually didn't withdraw it. That was a bit of a surprise. Mm. Uh, So we still have executive orders banning. But then there was the religious liberty memo. Right, there's a religious liberty memo where he instructs that throughout the administration, they should always adopt policies that are as protective as possible, consistent with the Constitution on people's free exercise of religion. Uh, This is an administration that loves the free exercise clause, hates the establishment clause, Mm. and wants to tilt uh, the weight in one direction. If only getting rid of Jeff Jeff Sessions got rid of all of his memos, too. No, uh, they're still citing them. In fact, his memo is prominently cited in the uh, brief filed by the Solicitor General in the uh, Harris Funeral Homes case. Doesn't surprise me. So uh, they said this is the administration's position. Right. Uh, And it will become the EEOC's position again after December 31st uh, because uh, there are now two vacancies uh, to fill. The uh, EEOC is down to three members. Uh, two are Democrats, two right, are so holdovers. Democratic majority right so, now. So two to one. Uh, so they're still taking complaints on sexual orientation and gender identity cases. But Heifelblum's term expires on December 31st. And Trump has nominated a package of three uh, commissioners. He's renominated Feldblum to the consternation of some Senate Republicans who have been blocking this deal. Yeah. And then he nominated two Republicans. And uh, the idea is to present them as a package and to let it just go through the Senate and uh, not have to have a roll call vote on each individual yeah. and uh, because they don't want to put uh, Republican senators in a position of responding to a roll call vote on Heifelblum. And there's no way they're going to vote for her. Do we know anything about these other commissioners? Are they run-of-the-mill Republicans or are they they're people you know, anti-trans that Trump, they're people that Trump like many? Ha- the people that Trump has appointed. Right. 
And Probably so, more similar yeah, to the folks could, that we've seen we can, in agencies can, yeah. and federal courts that are. I think, I think without knowing the specifics, we can draw conclusions. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, the chances are good that the new three to two majority, whoever it is, once there are confirmations, will probably back away from the position that the agency's been taking. And that isn't so surprising. If you look at the history of politically charged areas where we have administrative agencies, where a new president within a year or two can appoint a majority, because many of these statutes setting up these agencies provide that no more than three out of the five members can be the same party. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have five members. Each one has a five-year term. They're staggered. One expires each year. A new president within a year or two can change the direction of an agency. So that's no big surprise. Uh, the interesting uh sort of twist here is that if the president persists on his package of nominees, including High Feldblum, there's a possibility that they, that the lame duck session will not confirm them, which means that as of January 1, the EEOC will be down to two commissioners, oh. which means they can't decide anything because they need to have three commissioners oh. to have a quorum. Mm. So the agency will be paralyzed. So the EEOC may be without a quorum as of January 1st, yeah. and we'll see how quickly uh, the incoming Senate is willing to take it up. But the incoming Senate is not going to be so different from the outgoing Senate. Right. So there may still be a deadlock unless Trump backs down and appoints some other less controversial Democrat. Uh, but at any rate, so this is floated uh, now uh, from the uh, Civil Rights Office in HHS uh, that there should be a regulatory definition Uh, So far, what we have are guidances and executive orders and things like that, but we don't have an actual regulation that says that for all purposes, sex shall be defined as male or female as determined at birth. Uh, And so that's what they're proposing. Yeah. It's barbaric. It's sweeping. It it defines trans people out of existence, and that is why so many people, uh, legal included, were out in the streets— protesting this agency action. Well, we should we should explain the difference between a regulation and a guidance. Or sure, go things ahead. Like that. The point is that if an agency just issues guidelines or question and answer explanations or things like that, those are documents to which the courts may defer to some degree as an agency interpretation, but they don't really have the force of law. But a regulation which is properly promulgated under the Administrative Procedure Act. It's uh, a proposed regulation. is published in the Federal Register. They receive comments from the public. They may hold public hearings. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they respond in the Federal Register to the comments, and they publish a final regulation. And then once, it, once it's officially published, it actually becomes almost like a statute. Uh, the point is that once a regulation is properly adopted, it can't just be withdrawn. Right. You have to go through the entire process again to substitute a new regulation withdrawing the old one. So that freezes it in. And it also gets much more weight in terms of deference from the courts Yeah. Uh, when the question comes up. Uh, the, the courts are pretty much obliged to follow the regulation unless they find that the regulation itself 
was not a legitimate interpretation right. of the statute. Right, and so if this became a regulation, first of all, it would be fought yeah. all the way there. It would immediately, be, it would immediately yeah. be challenged. Lambda, the ACLU, they'd all, all run in there. And dozens of federal courts have already ruled that transgender people are protected under right. federal law. As a matter of interpretation of the statute. Sure. And so that overrides a regulation. So we, we would have a shot in, in some of the courts of appeals right. of winning those cases, but they would inevitably end up in the Supreme Court, and who knows what the composition of the court would be right. at that time. And I guess just the bigger point here is, again, the broad consensus among medical authorities is is contrary to everything that this memo stands for, but also just the idea that time after time, as you discussed in the beginning, this administration has gone out of its way to come after trans people who are already feeling scared, who are already feeling under siege by this administration, and it's just relentless. Well, it's and it's all political. Uh, it has nothing to do with the merits of this case. It has everything to do with uh, the president's perception of his base and what his base expects. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about um, our of note segment. Right. And we're back. Give us our of note, Art. Okay. So way back in the dark ages, when same-sex marriage was not available in Texas, uh, Gus Hinojosa and Steve Lafredo. Hinojosa? Hinojosa. <laughs> Hinojosa. Okay. Uh, they, you know, they were a couple. They lived together and everything. Okay. And, you know, they held themselves out as a couple. Right. And uh, then they broke up. And then years later, we get same-sex marriage. And now, uh, Mr. Hinojosa is seeking a divorce from Mr. Lafredo. And Mr. Lafredo says, what divorce? We never got married. Mm. And Mr. Hinojosa says, well, under the Texas law, we had an informal or common law marriage. And uh, I think we need to legally dissolve it. Yeah. And so he files suit for a legal divorce. And uh, Lafredo uh, seeks a dismissal, moved twice without success to dismiss it. The trial court said, well, you know, Obergefell, retroactive, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so now uh, he appealed to the Texas Court of Appeals. And the Court of Appeals in Dallas uh, said, no, that's, that's a good argument that... Uh, you know, the, the trial judge did not necessarily uh, commit an abuse of discretion or clearly err in refusing to dismiss. You know, the, the trial court hasn't yet issued a ruling on the merits mm. as to whether a divorce is available. But they said, you know, uh, based on the record before us, we conclude Relator has not shown he is entitled to the relief requested. He has not shown an abuse of discretion. The legal question of whether Obergefell is retroactive has not been determined by the Supreme Court of Texas or by the U.S. Supreme Court. The trial court, therefore, did not fail to correctly analyze or apply the law or reach an arbitrary and unreasonable decision when it determined that Relator had not established as a matter of law that no legal marriage existed between him and Hinojosa, either formal or informal. Hmm. So it's, it's interesting. There, there are undoubtedly plenty of people walking around this country who don't realize that the state may consider them to be married. Right. Oh, that's terrifying. That, the, the, I mean, there were all those um, cases out of Texas before where folks were locked in a marriage and couldn't get right. a divorce. And then, right. you they know, the... Married out of state, and then in Texas, they couldn't get a divorce. Right. They couldn't get any... any they couldn't get a dissolved. court to, you know, divide their assets right. or decide custody of children or things like that. Uh, there are real problems. Even, you know, you win marriage equality. Yeah. But now there are all these other ancillary issues that have to be sure. settled. And uh, some of them are going to be pending in state courts because family law is primarily state law, but with constitutional 
uh, overhang on it, yeah. such as a Burgerfell. There are equal protection and due process issues. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out, and there are similar cases pending elsewhere. So we can look forward to litigating about marriage equality for a generation to come at least. But hopefully not overturning it. Right. <laughs> Leaving on a happy note, well, thanks for listening. This and future podcasts can be found online and on iTunes and at legal.podbean.com. Follow Legal on Twitter at LGBTBarNY and like us on Facebook. We will be back in December. And let's see if we picked up any of this. Yeah. Yes. And we 46... 46-